0: Our geographical series, which we started in caves, where we discovered ourselves and who we are. was shifted to the mountain where we encountered God and we saw who God was. And then we spent some time in the valleys. And if you remember, it's the valleys where there is humanity, a broken humanity that is far uh, from God and lost. A humanity that is in desperate need of the church to get off the mountain and go into the valley and to minister to the least, the lost, the last, and the lonely. Well, as you could probably guess by the video, our geographical series now shifts to waters. Waters, did you all get that through the video? You did get that, okay. Now, before we dive in uh, to our waters, which is a fascinating, fascinating study in the scriptures, did you ever notice how our very own language uses water images in very non-watery ways. Now, we did a little bit of a a guess thing or a speak-out thing. So when I say a phrase, you see if you can complete it with me, okay? So if we uh, smell some homemade bread, what does that do to our our mouths? It makes them... And it what, our appetites? Wets. Wets. Very good, okay? And then when we want to move past the problem... We try to make it water under the. All right, teaching devoid of deep content is called what? Watered down, right? <laughs> when we've been betrayed, we have been sold what? Down the river, right? And uh, but if we are sent to prison, we are what? Sent up the river, right? You remember these things, right? <laughs> if life is going rough for us, we're said to be going up the creek without a paddle, right? And if an idea is too conventional, we call it what? Everybody missed this in the other service, but it's what? Too mainstream, okay? Now, when we're about to cry, it's not a build-up of salty discharge. It's what? It's a welling up of tears, right? If we want to save money to and from work, we join a a carpool. If it's raining harder than expected, it's raining what? Cats and dogs. If one is about to have a baby or even a wedding, we throw them a shower. And I got to give props to this one. As I was prepping this morning, Nori told me one about patience. So if you're trying to Be patient, you have to hold your, hold your water. I don't even know what that image means, but I really do want to unsee it in my own mind, okay? Hold your water. So much like our language, the scripture constantly uses this idea of water uh, symbolically, spiritually, um, analogously, um, and even metaphorically. So as we prime our new series, we're going to look at the most famous water story in the New Testament. And I'm going to tell you something you probably already know. And that simply is that Jesus spent a large portion of his ministry, which lasted just about three years, he spent a large portion of it around the Sea of Galilee. In the proximity of this large body of water, Jesus chose his disciples. He did many of his amazing miracles and his most compelling teachings. He did this because the Sea of Galilee was seen as the source of life, not only for the fishing industry that we read about a lot in the New Testament, but also for the many households that surrounded it. Now, Jesus loved to go to where the people were. And many people flocked to the Sea of Galilee Um, Not only because it was a life source, but also because it was so beautiful and it was so enchanting. Much like we like to go over to the jetties and just meditate and recreate, or even to Nokomis Beach. So, when in the ancient world, the biblical world, the sea that was calm was considered a source of blessing. It was considered to be life-giving. However, a sea that was disturbed, a sea that was considered stormy, a sea that was considered angry, was deemed to be life-taking. And we're going to look at one of those life-taking episodes, if you will, in Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 32. So we'll read the scripture on the big board. And later on that evening, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Everybody say on the lake with me, on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, "'Tell me to come with you on the water.' "'Come,' he said. "'Then Peter got down out of the boat, "'walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. "'But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, "'and beginning to sink, he cried out, "'Lord, save me!' "'Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. "'You of little faith,' he said, "'why did you doubt?' And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Thanks be to God. What precedes the story is the simple fact that Jesus had just created what I call a synergistic miracle. How many know that God can do anything he wants all by himself? How many know he can do that? How many know that most of the time, though, he chooses not to? He chooses to work with humanity, especially in the extraordinary and the supernatural. What preceded this event that we just spoke about was the massive miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Who remembers that? Now, I want to tell you that this mass of humanity uh, was more like 15,000 because in ancient censuses, women and children were rarely counted. But initially, when the disciples looked at this uh, just thronging crowd of so many people, they knew it was dinner time. And so they really said to Jesus, Lord, send these people home. We don't have the ability, we don't have the uh, resources, and we definitely don't have the chefs required in order to feed all of these people all at once. But how many of you know that Jesus has the gift of hospitality? And he says to them, no way, Hosea. Here's what we're going to do. Let's gather up what we have, let's thank God for it, and let's see what happens. I mean, you know that's a good way to live, by the way, everybody. Put your hand up if you believe that. So they do this very thing. They gather up, as you remember, uh, five loaves and two fishes. And uh, Jesus prays over the meal. And presto, presto, a catered meal for 15,000 people. And because we're so close to Thanksgiving time already, I would say it's a Thanksgiving meal with all of the trimmings an endless source of food so much so that even after this pot providence meal is concluded you guys get it right we're never allowed to say pot luck right you guys still awake pot there's no luck in the church right it's a pot providence meal God made that meal God knew exactly what was in those pots right but even after it is concluded, there's leftovers to boot. This is a magnificent day, right? Could you imagine sitting there hungry all the day and Jesus produces this miracle, this gift that just keeps on giving and giving and giving? Well, afterward, after the cleanup, uh, Jesus sends, on, sends his disciples to sail across the Sea of Galilee and to set up for the next revival meeting. As was his custom, he decides to stay behind because he wants to spend time with his heavenly father. He wants to thank him and glorify him for doing such an amazing miracle for so many people. So as you can imagine, the disciples, they head on out uh, towards the Sea of Galilee. Galilee, And as was pretty much standard, uh, a terrible storm cell blows in from the north. If you have a a geographical understanding of how the Sea of Galilee was developed, it was actually kind of in the bottom of a bowl. And many times these nor'easters would come in and wreak all kind of havoc on the people that were in the sea or on the sea itself. Now, because the disciples uh, don't have the latest weather app on their phone, uh, get it, or they don't receive Wi-Fi that far out into the sea, uh, this particular storm takes them off guard. Now, these are experienced fishermen, as we know. They've spent their life out on the sea. But this storm is so violent, and this storm is so threatening, and this storm is so powerful, they are besides themselves. In fact, the text tells us in the Greek language that they are, uh, or their hearts are filled with anguish. They are terrified. They are fearing for their very lives, for their very own existences. And as they are there, uh, trying to keep water out of the boat, trying to sail uh, such, through such a stormy, stormy storm, um, guess who shows up? Like he always does. Um, it's Jesus. Um, he didn't parachute in, he didn't rent a helicopter. He didn't even sail out on his own. But here comes Jesus, the water walker. This is Jesus defying the laws of gravity and even the laws of logic, and he walks atop the surface of the water. Now, can you imagine this, if you will? Here you are fighting for your lives in the midst of a horrible storm. And all of a sudden you see a person walking up to, next to you on top of the water. It's amazing what the text says. They were terrified because of the storm, but when Jesus shows up walking on the water, they are petrified. They are doubly scared. They are scared, speechless. They don't know what to think or what to do in this particular moment. They are horrified. And as Jesus walks up to them, now he knows that they are doubly scared. The storm scared the life out of them, and his presence walking on the water scared any life out of them that they had left. Now, Jesus comes, and he says the types of things that God always says to us when we are scared. And we're told what those three phrases are. He says, be of good courage. Huh. Do not fear. It is I. Think about that for a moment. Now, have you ever had the emotion of fear? Have you ever been in a life-threatening situation? Whether it was a near car wreck or, or whether it was a, a disease that you had to work through? The last thing we kind of think about is what Jesus' words are here. Uh, be of good courage. It is I. Do not Be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but I might respond with what I said is a snippet of snark at that point. I think with a raging storm rolling all around, I may have said something like, you know, it's pretty easy for you to say because you are immortal, And I forgot my life vest, okay? Because if you don't do something about this raging storm right now, I'm going to find myself at the bottom of the sea. Now we got this guy Peter. Who remembers Peter? Peter is my all-time favorite disciple because he is there on this particular uh, boat. And good thing he was there instead of me. Now, He says to Jesus, he said, Lord, if you want some fearless courage, I have me some. Invite me to come and to walk out on the water with you. Now think about this for just a moment. First of all, I want to backtrack and just let you know that remember who sent them ahead of himself. Jesus did. So Jesus knew quite well that they were going to encounter this storm. And the reason why I say this is sometimes we hear some teaching that if you have faith, that somehow your life will be onward and upward every second, and it will be problem-free. I mean, you know, that's not true. Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, sent those boys on before him, knowing full well that they will encounter the perfect storm, and that they would be terrified because of it. I only say this because sometimes I've seen so many people get disappointed, and even some people repudiate their faith because they've had troubles, they've had issues, they've had hard times, they've had hardships, they have had trials, they've had uh, troubles and temptations, but Here's the good news when jesus leads us into paths of righteousness for his namesake sometimes that means taking a walk on the windy waters sometimes he's going to send us out there for the true purpose of the greatest work in your life and in my life and that is to find out that jesus christ is absolutely trustworthy i mean that's a lesson that we're not going to learn when the sea is nice and calm all of the time. Now, we love calm seas, right? We love when life is smooth sailing, right? That's all good, too. But it never, ever, ever seems to stay that way forever. Like I said, you know, it'd be really nice if we could live our 4 score and 10, problem-free and disease-free, and then just go ahead and pass away at night with a smile on our face. Now, that doesn't really happen a whole lot, not for most of the people that I have known. We will have trouble. It's even what Jesus said in John 16, In this world, you have trouble, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, Peter hears all this stuff, and he asks Jesus to invite him out upon the waters. Whoa, this is pretty incredible stuff. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm with the 11 over here, clinging onto that rickety boat as long as I possibly can, before I sink asunder. And here comes Peter, Peter, saying, Lord, uh, if you allow, I will come after you. I want you to remember something. When they first or initially saw Jesus walking on the water, they were not sure who or what was going on? They had no idea. They really thought that he was a ghost or some kind of apparition or, or some kind of phantom of their own imaginations. But obviously it was Jesus. So Peter asked this question even before he knows with full confidence that it is Jesus out on that lake. And second of all, if it is Jesus, Remember, he still has not yet stilled the storm. That will happen later. The storm is still raging on the rolling sea. So I don't know if Peter is one of these uh, professional daredevils or thrill seekers, but he said, Lord, you just said, let's have some courage. You are with us. I'm coming out. Now I can just imagine Jesus Standing there on the waters because it's raining, cats and dogs, right? He's standing there, sopping wet, and uh, I can imagine him just rolling his eyes and muttering under his breath, Here we go with another Peter faith lesson. But nevertheless, he invites him to come. How many of you know that Jesus is always inviting us to get out of the boat? Whether it's in prayer, whether it's in giving, whether it's inviting, it doesn't matter. Christ is always calling us to get out of the boat, out of our comfort zone, and do something amazing for him. Amen? How many believe that this morning? You faith-filled Christ followers, you better. And so Peter decides to take the dive. And without even so much as a life preserver, he jumps upon the water. And he gets out there. You have to try to figure this out. He's on the water, on top of the water, on top of the surface of the water. The text told us that they had uh, sailed hours away from the shore. So the Sea of Galilee is like six, 700 feet deep. So it's not like there's posts out there. It's not like he has his water wings on, right? So he's out there and uh, we're not told how long or how far he walked upon the water. But as soon as he gets out there he starts baby-stepping it towards Jesus. We are told, however, what his name is. You may already realize this, but Peter comes from the Greek term Petros, which means rock. In Matthew 16, Jesus called Peter his rock, or the confession of which he would build his church. We do know that when he is out there, um, he seems to take notice of what is going on around him, namely the storming weather that's surrounding him, the choppy waves that are about to subdue him. And we do know that something happened to him Doubt entered his heart and he began to sink like his namesake. He began to sink like a rock. And as he's going down, he does something we would all do instantaneously. He cries out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. This is absolutely no problem for Jesus. No problem whatsoever. Jesus, the lifeguard, holds out his hand pulls him up upon the water. Now, we do not know exactly in what tone um, Jesus said this. Uh, Jesus used a little sarcasm that we know in the Bible. He'd love to rough his disciples up uh, and challenge them in ways that were humorous and funny. So when he pulls Peter up, he says to him essentially this. Why did you have big doubt and little faith? Why did you have big doubt and little faith? Now, I have a little bit of an explanation here. I think it's important. Of course, Peter is afraid that he is going to be lost at sea. Nobody wakes up any morning and says, I really hope I drown today in the Sea of Galilee because I have nothing better to do with my life, right? I don't think that's the problem, though, or the deeper problem. Remember what we said. Angry seas were life-taking. They were life-threatening in the ancient world. Peter correlates something, and that is angry seas are hostile towards God and his people. Hostile seas are demonic in nature. I really want you to remember that for next week's sermon, and we're really going to flesh that out. But what Peter actually sees is not only his demise, but the demise of his disciples and the demise of Jesus' future church before it's even able to reach the next shoreline. Peter is thinking that all is lost. Now a lot of people, and I've done a lot of research on this message, but a lot of people like to beat up Peter for this. They, they really do. I'm like, get out. No way. Peter is my water walking hero. He really is. All those 11, there's 11 other chickens. They never even said, oh, hey, listen, you're our man, Peter. Lead us out there on the water and we'll all get to Jesus together. What did they do? They hung in the boat, they hung back, and they did so in fear. Now think about that. Church, how many of you need to get out of the boat of the fears in your life? How many of you need to get out of the boat and get on and take a wild walk on windy waters with Jesus Christ, no matter how long that lasts you? How many of you really this morning need to Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Regardless of the angry sea that you're on this morning. Well, Jesus escorts Peter back to the boat. The moment they enter the boat, the storm dies down. And immediately the disciples have this wonderful insight into the true identity of Jesus Christ they worship him immediately and they confess him as the son of God incredibly incredibly I really believe that if our faith is going to be buoyant that we have to reverse engineer Peter's little faith big doubt problem into big faith, little doubt, solutions. Here's what happens to us. Whatever the angry sea is that we're called to go through on this side of eternity, no matter how deep, no matter how wide, no matter how angry, our faith will be tested. Now big doubt, little faith always sees the sea, whatever it may be, as bigger than Jesus, as bigger than God himself. Is that cancer bigger than Jesus himself? Is that financial hardship bigger than Jesus himself? Is that relational fracture Bigger than Jesus himself. Well, when people have big doubt and little faith, they say, of course it is. That's why I'm filled with fear. That's why I'm struggling so much. That's why I have an absence of peace. That's why I don't have any joy. I look, I've accounted for it. I've measured it. I numbered it. My angry sea is bigger than the mighty powerful son of God. And every time we do that, guess what we do, church? We sink. We sink spiritually. And we sink emotionally. And to the angry sea. Exactly what the devil wants us to do. On the other hand, big faith and little doubt sees Jesus Christ as bigger than any sea, any angry sea of our lives, whatever it may be. We are absolutely encouraged in Hebrews 12 too, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, not the stormy sea, not the angry sea. I don't know about you, but when I have my eyes fixed on the problems of my life, I want to ball up in the fetal position and cry for my mama each and every time. But when I read the Word, when I spend time in prayer, when I commune and counsel with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I start feeling encouraged, yes, yes. Jesus Christ is the mighty, powerful Son of God who easily vanquishes all foes hostile to God, his people, and his creation. He easily vanquishes angry seas and he calms them down. Big faith, little doubt, ushers into our souls A peace that passes all understanding. A joy unspeakable and full of glory. A love that reaches out to a world that is drowning in the seas, the angry seas of our world with no hope and with no joy and with no love and no peace. And it reaches out to say there is hope in the mighty, powerful Son of God. Now, I know it's easy to worship him, especially on a Sunday morning, just like the disciples did on that boat. They worshiped him immediately. They identified who Jesus was. But how many know that absolute trust is a different thing? It really, really is. A lot of people say, I believe in Jesus. A lot of people say, I worship Jesus. A lot of people say, I love Jesus. But do we absolutely trust Jesus. During the times we are called to trust him the most, as we are sailing upon the angry seas of our lives, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, when we magnify him and exalt him greater than any problem that we have. We'll be able to walk across any waters and have an unsinkable faith. Will you pray with me? Great and gracious God, our hearts are just lifted today. And we're encouraged by your word. We first of all take stock of whatever meant be getting us down. Of the doubts that are only designed to drown us. And pray exactly how that man prayed when you asked the paralytic if he wanted to be healed, he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Lord, we just want to trust you more. We just want to see you more. We just want to see you do these amazing and incredible things to us, for us, and through us. But we got to make it across the sea. And by your power, by your steadfast love, by your overwhelming promises, You will develop in us an unsinkable faith that always takes courage and is never afraid. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.